You're listening to Infertility Bites. This is a catharsis podcast. Infertility bites, but it bites a bit less when you're not alone. My name is Casey, and I'm blessed to be joined by my co-captain in this journey, my lovely wife, Sarah. Hello. On this series, we're going to talk about our experiences dealing with infertility. But it is important to note that we are not doctors or even experts. We're just people that understand how difficult it can be. Each person's journey is unique, like a fingerprint, so it's best to leave the medicine to the professionals. The last episode was all about normalizing infertility, uh, specifically talking about it so that you don't feel like such an outsider. If you're new to this podcast and you haven't listened to that episode yet, I do recommend you feel free to listen to it and then shoot us a, a an email or a tweet or whatever uh, with your thoughts on other ways to normalize it. We'd love to hear from you. This episode is going to focus on something different that all of us battling infertility have had to get used to, and that's plans changing. Everyone who deals with infertility has already experienced the plans changing in ways they didn't expect to happen. That's kind of the nature of infertility. Yeah. No, Nobody plans on this. Nobody dreams of having to go to dozens upon dozens of doctor's appointments and give all sorts of blood just to find out, uh, you know, what's going on with, with their ovulation cycle and, and all of the ultrasounds, all of them. Not just... Yeah. No, nobody dreams of that or plans on it. Nope. Every one of us going through this had a plan in mind of a air quotes normal pregnancy. Yeah. I wanted to have at least two kids before the age of 30. And I didn't have Stella until I was 32. So <laughs> plans definitely changed. And... I think it's important to know, though, that that's a reoccurring thing with infertility. It's not just the diagnosis of infertility that's going to be a change in plans. It's basically every step along the way. You'll have a plan of attack for for the infertility to start off with. Your doctors will come up with one um, and and it will or won't work. Uh, for many of us, it doesn't work the first time. And this is talking, you know, I have always said that your battle with infertility starts a long time before your treatments do. Uh, for us, it was like six years of yeah. trying and not having any success and talking to one doctor and trying what that doctor told us to and that not working and talking to them again and them changing ideas and giving us something else to do. Um, your story starts long before your treatment really starts. But every step along that is a plan changing. Every step along that is you thinking you know what's going on and thinking you're on a path and then everything taking a big left turn. And then you get to another doctor. And this one, you know, is a little bit more versed in infertility, but maybe not maybe not on RE yet, just a just a 
OBGYN who's had to help. And they'll come up with some plants and maybe they'll put you on some drugs like Clomid or, or something like that. And uh, if you're lucky, it works. And unfortunately, a lot of us, it's, we're not lucky with that working. And that's another plan just changing out of the blue. But the, the important thing is to note that that's probably going to be a reoccurring thing through all of your infertility battle. And maybe even afterwards. Oh, yeah. So, again, six years of, of trying, six years of seeing doctors before uh, we eventually got to see... Uh, Taken more serious. <laughs> yeah, more serious. And got to see the doctor here in Omaha, um, Dr. Delaney at Methodist. We no problem recommending her to anyone. She was phenomenal. And she was successful. So that's an important thing to us. Now, not everyone's going to have success with the same doctors. You're going to have to find a doctor that fits your yeah. your needs, your specific situation. But even at that point, you know, you finally find a doctor that fits your needs. You're going to come up with a plan of attack. And then they're going to take some blood tests and maybe the plan will change because your estrogen levels are low or your hormone levels are low or whatever. Or maybe they'll um, measure and you're not developing enough follicles and so they'll want to wait another month before doing anything. That's a plan that can change. Or maybe you're planning on doing it later in the month and the test will say no we've got to do this now you're developed everything's exactly where we need it to be we better hop on this now so being flexible amongst your plans is going to be a big thing with your entire infertility battle and then being flexible even afterwards is important we've mentioned how for us we were actually very very fortunate to be successful on the first round of IVF. And a lot of people are not. Yeah. And we feel for them because the emotions of one round of IVF are... Yeah, it's a lot. Oh, yeah. Just mind-numbing. And to go through it and be told, I'm sorry, it wasn't successful, is... I, I honestly can't even imagine because we put all of our eggs in this basket. I mean, we literally were like, if this doesn't work, we don't. There was not another $25,000 waiting for us. So I I can't imagine, and my heart and soul just sends love to people that have to go through this numerous times. Mm-hmm. But that's part of why I'm I'm kind of harping on this plans changing understand it and and get used to it and know that you're going to have to adapt um if it does not successful the first time that's not a huge that's not the end of the world that's just a setback and you need to roll with it and keep going but for us you know it was it was successful the first time so that plan went according to plan but then the pregnancy and the pregnancy sarah dealt with morning sickness basically the entire time <laughs> there was like 
month four or five or five or six, one of those months I was, I was okay. That was about it. And, uh, cause I remember I actually, the doctor was worried cause I was actually losing weight, but that was because I just couldn't eat anything cause I just was getting sick. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but then it came back and, and she had to deal with it. The rest of it, the plans changed, you know, and then it came to, and this is a story we're, we were always going to eventually have to tell, but it's, it's a little scary. So, and, and you already know that it has a happy ending, so you don't have to be worried about this, me saying it's a scary story, but in a way it is. So because this was our first pregnancy, uh, we weren't really 100% versed on what to expect when everything starts to roll forward, right? And so Sarah's at work one day. Well, it was I mean, it was in the morning when I in noticed. Yeah. So going to work in the morning yeah. and and she's like, "Well, I'm there's a a bit of moisture well, down yeah. there." Cuz I mean, I knew from I knew the reality was it wasn't like this water balloon plops when it, your water breaks. I mean, it's that the, the depiction in shows and movies is not realistic. And so for me, it was just like, oh, I just got a little more fluid, but not enough that I was like, oh, I don't know. But, you know. So she calls the doctor's office and she explains what happens. Yeah. And the doctor says, well, not the doctor, the nurse. Yeah. Uh, says, uh, you'd probably know if your water broke. So you're probably fine. Mind you, I was about a week away from my due date. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was, yeah. you know, if it had been one thing, if it had been like two months away mm-hmm. or even a month away, but I was but so, about a week. This was on a Tuesday. Yes. And she says, now you'll probably, you'd probably know if it was and, your water broke. So. Just keep your eye on it. If the contractions start coming within this range, you know, give us a call and come in. But it probably wasn't your water breaking. And Sarah's like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, yeah. I mean. So she continues to work at her job and she continues to monitor her contractions. And they're not really coming super frequent. In my job's defense, they actually were like everyone. Because. I was told that day I didn't look well. I was very flushed. Everyone was like, you don't look well. I didn't feel well, but, you know, that was nothing new for me. So, mm-hmm. but I do know that I did have a lot of concerned coworkers because I went upon telling them this, mind you, my, these are my close friends. So I'm not just randomly telling, you know, bosses that I have a lot of fluid coming yeah. out of me. Unlike doing it on a podcast where random <laughs> strangers will hear. be quiet. And, uh, so, um, you know, and they were like, dude, I don't know why that nurse didn't say to come in. I mean, you know, so but they were nice and they, you know, kept an eye on me. Yeah. But her contractions didn't start coming super frequently. I mean, she would get one every hour or two. Yeah, you it know? Wasn't... I mean, it wasn't. Anything. But she keeps an eye on it. And like the next day is a Wednesday and, um, She's keeping an eye on it, and the contractions aren't coming any faster. And just still moisture yeah. down there. 
more than what you would normally expect, but but we had a regularly scheduled appointment for Thursday, and she's like, "Well, the doctor or the nurse wasn't worried about it, so oh my god, I can make it till Thursday. You know, well, I can. We'll just go in on Thursday and we'll see what it is. Now, again, this is about a week before due date, and we know that babies are rarely born on their due date. It's it's at its best an educated guess. Yeah. Um. But her due date was actually Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And so this was about a week earlier. Um, so that in fact, uh, it would have been the 6th was when, when you first noticed things. Um, so a little bit over a week, but almost a week. Um, and... And so, you know, we kind of deal with it for a day and then we go into our doctor's appointment on on the, the Thursday. And the doctor comes in and we say, hey, yeah, we've been really kind of worried about this because she's had this moisture. And she called in on Tuesday about it and they said it probably wasn't her water breaking, but, you know, it's continued to just be moist and and we're kind of worried and the doctor's like, yeah, it, it probably wasn't your water breaking. I talked to the nurse about it, and we think it was just something else. But we're gonna, we're gonna do well, just, just do a little normal quick test. test. Yeah, we're gonna do a normal test, but then we're gonna take a sample and just make sure it's not you know amniotic fluid. amniotic fluid and all of that stuff. And and they do the normal tests that normal people would have done at this point yeah. in a pregnancy, because by this point. In a pregnancy, um, whether it's IVF or not, you're just on basically regular schedule with doctors. Early on, IVF pregnancies have a lot more testing and a lot more monitoring than normal pregnancies. But by this point, they're treating it like a normal pregnancy. And so they do the normal tests and they take a sample and she disappears for a bit. And she comes back in and says... Um, yeah, we're going to have to, um, get you down to the hospital, uh, cause we're pretty sure your water broke and we're going to get you in and induce and get this baby out of you. So here we are a week before our due date. It's on the 8th and, you know, suddenly we're going to the hospital and we're checking in and I mean... We always see those movies where, oh, my water broke. Oh, we got to grab the bag. We got to do this and everything. <laughs> um, and we, I mean, we did have a bag ready. I yeah, mean, we we had a bag ready and 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 all that stuff. But it was still kind of one of those things where it's just like, oh, because it wasn't a, oh, her water broke. We got to go to the hospital and, now. It was her water broke three days ago. But now we're going to the hospital now. And I will admit, I did eat a bowl of cereal before I went because I knew I wasn't going to be allowed to eat. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, she told us to go straight to the yeah. hospital. Well, we were like, we still had to go home. So I'm like, I'm going to eat a bowl of cereal. And I'm glad I did because it was a long time. Because that appointment was at like 11 in the morning. Yeah, it was 11 in the morning for the so, appointment. So I had to call my job because I had taken off the time to go to the appointment. But I, it was just my lunch break effectively. Yeah. So I had to call them and say, hey, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be coming back today because we got to go check into the hospital. So we get to the hospital. And they, you know, check her into the room and all of this stuff. And 
they start monitoring her. They start putting her on. Um, I, I wish yeah, I could remember. Now I'm drawing a blank to it. Some of the drugs that are supposed to to uh, help stimulate her uh, opening, you know, and all that stuff. And this was, I mean, there really wasn't an option. Like, they weren't like, here's your options. It was like, because your water broke mm-hmm. three days ago. Yeah. Now we're worried about the baby's We're health. worried about the baby's health. So, because that kind of, because my sister had talked to me about, you know, what you want done. Well, a lot of these decisions were suddenly taken away from me. Yes. Because it was like, oh no, we have to do this because your baby's been losing all this fluid and it's not good for you, but mostly the baby. So, mm-hmm. you know, that plan of saying, no, I don't want that went out the door yeah. if I would have. So, you know, at this point, if we'd have been planning a water birth with a doula, that probably would have gone out the window. Or if we were planning a, a home birth with, you know, uh, anyways, it, it was out the window. Because suddenly we're, we're on this path. And if we were planning a natural birth without any drugs uh suddenly we didn't have that option because they had to induce because the worry was the baby sitting there without any amniotic fluid protecting it was not going to be good for it so we needed to get it out soon and and really at this point there was even the the uh discussion that they were going to work on the the drugs to uh induce but if it didn't taken a certain amount of time that they were going to roll her into the other room and do a c-section regardless of whether that was our plan originally and the grand scheme of things is simply this if there's any advice i can give to people understand the baby is going to come how the baby comes yeah and the important thing is not whether you have that beautiful moment in a bath with the baby uh, for a water birth or whether you have that beautiful moment, you know, with your doula or whatever. The important thing is the baby gets there and is healthy. All plans go out the window when it comes down to, can I get the baby here healthy? And that's what we had to do. And so there it was suddenly in the hospital. She's on drugs. Uh, the, <laughs> you make it sound like I was high up. <laughs> well, the contractions are coming more. I know. But just... And more. And eventually they say, do you want an epidural? And she says, yes. Yes, please. Um, and they, they give her the epidural and they say, it's going to feel like cool water going down your back. And she says, I don't feel any water. Nope. There was no water. Nothing. And at this point, the person was like, well, it'll come soon. And finishes the epidural and then leaves. Because, you know, that's something they don't really teach you. Is The the person who does the epidural probably is not going to hang around. They're just going to come in and... Do your job and bye. And then deuce out. And I think it was the nurses that were like, you're still just in a lot of pain. I said, there is no... Yeah, I don't know what and they that, were talking about. That epidural didn't take, and after a while, yeah. I don't. At this point, you know, um, 
at this point, it's middle of the night. And both of us have been running on adrenaline since 11 o'clock when we're told, hey, you're going into the hospital now. So uh, they finally say, I don't think this is working. And so then they call another uh, anesthesiologist who comes in and just takes out the old epidural and puts in a new one. And And that's that's a scary thing. I mean, they're like, don't move, don't do anything. I mean, and you've got contractions and and the second one the minute he gave it to me i got sick yeah well and i'm literally trying not to move but at the same time i'm like i'm gonna throw up here i need to be able to move because something is coming up and and the thing is they're ready for it they know that that can happen and the fact that it didn't happen the first time probably was a clue that the first one didn't oh, take. Oh, and it definitely does. It feels like someone's just pouring cold water on your back. Mm-hmm. It's a very strange sensation. So. Uh, that, and I was, I think I, after I threw up, I think I took like an hour and a half nap. Yep. And she <laughs> finally was able to, because she wasn't in pain for a period of time. And she took a bit of a nap and we let her ra- relax. And so now we're going to fast forward to a little bit in the morning. You know, she was able to take a little nap. I was amped up on adrenaline. And so I'm just kind of walking around and holding her hand and sitting next to her and moving. Uh, But then she wakes up and things start moving along. And a nurse comes in and says, okay, uh, the doctor is here. And fortunately um, for us, the the doctor that we had previously planned on being our yeah. delivery doctor was actually not on call that day um but she had come in to check on one of the other patients that she had and realized that she she had like four five, or five, five 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 of her patients all in there at that same time so she ended up just staying the night which to... is strange but god it made me so relieved mm-hmm. because it there's nothing like i mean I, and it's and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong if you don't get to have it with your doctor, but it, it is nice just knowing she's been there with you the whole time. I mean, I, I don't know. Part, I was quite, quite relieved, mm-hmm. and I never even, even thought about that. So, But the nurse comes in and says, the doctor's uh, checking. Um, last time she checked, you weren't dilated enough. And so um, we're probably going to just do some practice pushes now just to get – it figured out so that you know what it feels like and all this stuff. We're going to do some practice pushes and then the doctor's going to come in and check on you and all of that stuff. And, and, but before we do the practice pushes, I'm just going to check whether you're dilated right now. And the nurse gets down and checks and then says, I'll be right back and leaves and brings the doctor in and the doctor checks and says, well, we're going now. And I mean, they, Got rid of half the bed really fast. Got yep. the stirrups boom, up. Boom, put boom. the laid down the tarp because <laughs> that's what they use. And about two other people join in the room. Yeah. Well, maybe more than that, but seems like I just remember two more people coming in. Yeah. But it was it was like that. I mean, yeah, just it was everything. like here's your legs, things, but, you know. So. But so Sarah didn't get any practice pushes. No. Yeah. She didn't get any of the, here's what we're going to do, here's this, here's that. It was just, it's time to push. And my rock star wife, three big pushes, 
Um, and then the episiectomy, which is, you know, that's not, not about fun, that. but, but, uh, three big pushes and our daughter was out. Um, so that this entire thing was not according to plan, but it was perfect. Yeah. So even though it wasn't the plan, it was the way it needed to be. And, but because of all the situation with the water breaking days beforehand and everything, technically our daughter spent a little time in the NICU because they, they were required to check her into that just so they could monitor her overnight and, and all of that stuff. She was perfectly healthy. There was not any worries about it. She, she didn't want to poop at the beginning but that eventually happened and that's fine and they and they ended up keeping me because because that was of course a thursday i don't think we went home until sunday yeah Yeah, like sunday noonish or something Mm we so they had to keep me also longer Mm -hmm. to make sure that there wasn't an infection for her an infection for the baby any of that stuff so so all these plans out the windows but everything worked good but the plans changing don't stop then. No. So we've talked before about one of the one of the parts of infertility that we were battling was my wife's PCOS. Something they don't talk about when they first tell you about PCOS is there is side effects of PCOS. Yes. Um, that affect a lot of PCOS patients. And that's inability to produce adequate amounts of milk. So we had this whole plan to breastfeed. Yeah, because that's all my mom ever did. And and it was just, oh, that's just what happens. My, my sister, she breastfed her baby girl and uh, my brother's wife. I mean, they all did, so it was just... And, and it's all over the news and the media, breast is best, and you gotta, you know, women who breastfeed their kids, the kids end up smarter, or yada, yada, yada. But between Sarah not producing as much, and our daughter being the most stubborn... And just absolutely refusing to latch. And I'm talking... Yeah, I wish we... I mean, it would have been my boob, but I really wish we could have filmed it because We're we're talking (laughs) both arms pushing with all of her little baby might and throwing her head back and she screamed. Yeah, she didn't... Yeah. She wanted nothing to do with Sarah's boobs. And... Uh, and I mean, we tried, yeah. we went to the lactation specialist and, and of course Stella did just, she was a little angel then and she latched right then. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted to always say, you kind of need two, two other people to help you do this. And that's the other, I will, to me, that was probably the hardest thing is doing all this by yourself. I mean, when I was with lactation doctor, she's over here lifting one boob, and then I've got my hand doing something, and then Casey's holding Stella. It's it's hard to do. But even more than that, because oh, yeah. again, Stella latching is one thing. Yeah. 
And they syrup. have great tools now. Mm-hmm. There's like lots of things. That you, little suction cup things yeah, you put on nipple your nipples. Shields and and all of this stuff. So, but, but even when we could get her to latch, Sarah just wasn't producing enough. No. And we tried lactation cookies, yeah. which are, are hideous, yeah. Oh, yeah. hideous tasting things. Um, I even took some goat's milk yeah. vitamins. Goat's I mean, this was from the lactation doctor telling me. Yeah. And I mean, there's specific kinds and there was one that worked best with PCOS people. That tasted, oh. I mean, but... It tasted horrible, but I mean, I was trying anything. Yep, anything. And they were not cheap because it was like 20 tablets for like 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. So and There was only one place in the town that we at the time lived in, Kearney, yeah. had them. and um, So there was no shopping around. No shopping around, <laughs> no price. And we, I, we probably could have found them on like Amazon and waited two-day prime shipping and yada, yada, yada. But it just was like, we're trying to do this. We're doing everything we can. And, Fortunately, even in the hospital, when the nurses noticed that Stella wasn't feeding very well on on Sarah, they supplemented with formula because their thought process was whatever is whatever gets food in the baby. Yeah. And so they sent us home with some formula from the hospital. And uh, we were able to run and get some from the store. But it was one of those things. Uh, the plan changed. The baby dictated the plan changing. Sarah's production dictated the plan yeah. changing. And I was going to say, and, you know, a lot of people told me it was because, oh, well, you were stressed. I, I really truly wasn't because I knew that there was formula. Like, I knew my baby would have food somehow. So... I, that is one thing I just, people were like, oh, you were just too stressed. You were just, that's what's wrong. And I'm like, no, because it, I knew that that was the other option and there was nothing wrong with that option. So, and, and ultimately, you know, we had prior to the birth actually got a, uh, pump yeah. so that Sarah could pump. Um, the thought process was when she went back to work, she could continue to pump. So, you know, here she is hooking up to this machine multiple times a day oh, and, and and getting barely an ounce ounces. or two and just putting herself through all of this hell trying to get this milk production to go and it just was never going. And a plan had to change and we had to do it. And we don't regret it, and we don't oh, look no. back on it, because here's the deal. is In the end, we were feeding our baby. We were doing what we needed to do for our she baby. She was a happy baby. And she still is. And oh, she yeah. loves, loves everything. Um, and she's so smart. So, in the end, plans change. Yep. And roll with it. And learn to love the chaos. Because yeah. that's what your life is now. Um, as soon as you started battling infertility, you have very little control. And you need to just adapt and move on. And I'm going to uh, reference something very nerdy because I am a big nerd. What? 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 Who did um, I marry? But anyone who's uh, watched the TV show The Flash, 
Oh my gosh. Uh, there's a character on it, Captain Cold, uh, played by Wentworth Miller. And he's very famously has a phrase, and I'm I'm hoping I'm getting it right. But it's make a plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails, throw out the plan. <laughs> and that's battling infertility there. Make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails, throw out the plan. Yep. So so that's kind of our stories of how plans change. Plans change through our battle. Just, yeah. And I know plans are going to be changing for you guys. Those of you listening that are in the middle of dealing with infertility will have their plans continue to change. And understand it's all part of it. And just roll with it. Those who are on the other side and have been successful will be able to look back and realize that every step of the way their plans had to change. Whether that's we thought we were going to do the egg retrieval this month and now we're doing it next month. Or whether that's we thought we were going to do it next month, but it turns out everything's looking for us to do it this month. Just roll with it. Because that's that's part of the chaos of this. And that's the way it's going to be. But on that note, we're probably going to bring this episode to a close. Uh, we don't have a story for this week. So that is when I put out the call to you, our lovely listeners. If you are ready to tell your story or have someone tell your story in this case, whether you're in the midst of it, whether you're after successful or after failures, we want to tell your story because everyone's story is longer than they think it is. Um, so, in the links on this episode, there's going to be a link to our flow page, which gives you all of the ways you can contact us. And one of those is a handy Google form to tell us your story so that we can share it with others. Um, so, please fill that out. If you want to be anonymous, we're more than happy to leave your name off of it. But if you're ready for your name to be out there, we'll even do it that way. If you know someone who has a story to tell, send them the link. Share it around. Because the more people who let us tell their stories, the better it is for everyone. Yeah. Um, you're not alone. You're not alone. You aren't. There's a lot of us out there. If anything, doing this podcast has taught us is there's a lot of us out there. But share this podcast with your friends. Share this episode or previous episodes with your friends. Um, share it on your Facebook or your uh, social media. Those are all great ways to get other people into this conversation. And to get us some more stories to tell of other people. Because this show really only works when listeners like you submit your story. You can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, We've got email, infertilitybytespodcast at gmail.com. Um, 
All of those are going to be in the links on the flow page. If you are enjoying the show, leave a review on whatever platform you use to listen to it. It's a really great way to help other people find this show. And if you're comfortable sharing this on your social media, that also would be appreciated. I know a lot of people listening aren't yet comfortable with posting about it on your social media, and I understand. But if you're to the point where it's out there that you're dealing with this, just a little share helps us out more than you know. But for now, we're going to wrap things up for this week. I always say, may your dreams of tiny feet be answered soon. We're sending all the loving baby dust your way. Thoughts and prayers. Thank you for listening. And as always, we're going to let our little scientific miracle send us off with love and kisses. Bye. I love you. Hello. Hello. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Linda.